of our Lord Jesus Christ. The promises of God in Jesus Christ carry with them many blessings for God's people. And when we know that the promises of God are dependable, then we're assured, as we hear time and time again, that nothing can separate us from His love. Not persecution, not distresses, not famine, not nakedness or sword. And these are some of the things that the world throws at God's people to discourage them into believing that God's promises are useless. And yet God's people and God's promises are so dependable that He reminds us in His Word that the answer to the challenges that come our way is not to give way to fear or to fear what people fear, but to have a healthy fear in the God of the promise. To fear God rather than men. Sadly, our fears are strong. And we worry. We become anxious. We see the threats of evil. And we get tempted to let fear get the better of us. And in our passage, we, we have one who is known as a prophet, Abraham. And he was a prophet, as prophets were, supposed to speak what was true. Who instead tells what we might call in our day a white lie. But tells what he tells not out of fear for the God of the promise, but out of fear of people, fear of men. He tells what he tells, not because it was the way of the word and wisdom of God, but because he was trying to get by on his own wisdom. He was not leaning on the Lord that way. And it's of course not the first time we know that that's happened to Abraham. Of course, we don't want to get smug about this, because we remember that we have all fallen more than once in the same way. Where we allow our fears to dictate how we operate rather than a fear of God. Despite these fears of Abraham that would appear to jeopardize as you see the story unfold, as you see the episode and the event unfold, uh, it appears to be jeopardizing the promise that God has made, covenantally. God overcomes these fears, and He overcomes this king that brings fear to Abraham. And it's a reminder again to us that God, despite us, and not because of us, protects His promises to His covenant people, and He does that for the sake of Jesus Christ, which is another reason for us then, again, to humbly glorify Him, to glory not in our own faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of our God in Jesus Christ. And so tonight we look at how God, in protecting His promises, is overcoming fears and He's overcoming kings. So first of all, He overcomes fear. 
in particular, in particular, the fear of Abraham. And this, of course, is not, again, the first time that Abraham has had an encounter like this. And it's not the first time that he tries to protect himself by way of his own means, rather than by the means of the Lord, relying not on the truth. He, he doesn't do that. He's relying on the lie. What ends up happening here, of course, is that before the kings of the earth, as was the case with Pharaoh earlier, Abraham fears men at this point when he should be fearing the Lord. Though a prophet, Abraham was not like the true prophet that was to come. The prophet that would come in fulfillment to the promise that God made, interestingly enough, to Abraham, who would be a blessing to the nations. At first, in fearing the nation, Abraham was unable to be a blessing to the nation. In contrast, you know, when Jesus faced the kings of the earth through uh, Pilate, for instance, in John chapter uh, 18, verse 37, he mentioned that all who were on the side of truth would listen to him. Pilate would say, you're a king then. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus was not afraid of the truth. In a world that, even as Pilate would say, doubted there was such a thing. He wasn't afraid of the truth and he wasn't afraid of the consequences that would follow by being courageous in the truth. Jesus trusted the promises of his Father. His courage in the face of evil fulfilled God's promise to make him a blessing to the nation as the Word who was made flesh. In our passage, Abraham was not the imitator of the Christ that was to come. He was not the true prophet. And it's really quite an ironic failure on the part of Abraham. And it's not just because he was considered a prophet, but also because of the reason why he wasn't going to fear God rather than men here. His reasoning, as Abimelech asks him why he did what he did, is that as he looked out where he was and where he was residing, he said, there was no fear of God in that place. That's what I thought. And therefore, since there was no fear of God there, well, then he wasn't going to fear God either. That lack of fear Fear impacted not only his relationship with God, but also with his wife. Instead of being proud of his wife, instead of looking out for his wife, instead of respecting his wife, instead of bringing honor to his wife, he's ashamed to call her his wife. He dishonors her. Something that even today as Christian husbands, we dare not do so. He dishonors his marriage before God because there's a lack of fear for God. And of course, there's a lot of that that goes on in our day, doesn't it? 
where marriage isn't honored because there isn't a fear of God in people's hearts. It's not respected. And so that goes hand in hand, doesn't it? It certainly does here. He dishonors his marriage before God, which the Lord did not miss in his conversations with Abimelech. He chose shame for the promise of God by risking the loss of the mother of the promise. And so he shows shame instead of glory for the Lord of the promise. The power of men meant more to him than the power of God. And so he becomes an imitator of the very world that he fought held no fear of God. Well, the further irony of all this is that when the people were told of the dream of Abimelech in this passage, what, what do we read? We read that they had, what they had was the fear of God in their hearts. They were very much afraid. The very thing that Abraham thought they didn't have. And it turns out then that the only one who really didn't have the fear of God at this point, was not Abimelech and his people, but Abraham. And the irony continues. Turns out that as much as Abraham was supposed to be the prophet to this nation, it ends up that the nation has to be the prophet to Abraham. Scolding him for the wrong that he had done to them. And so instead of being a blessing to the nation, as the seed of Abraham would be, at this point, Abraham was anything but. Nevertheless, we must, again, focus on the gospel here. We have to focus on the good news that despite man's fear, God remains faithful. And so God intervenes in this event. He intervenes in this passage to overcome the fear of Abraham for the sake of his promises. He protects his covenant from the title of our message tonight. And he protects it despite the sinfulness of people. And we see then, again, that the keeping of the covenant, were it left to us, would be hopeless. But God maintains His covenant as only He can. And of course, where do we see that maintaining of God's covenant, protecting of His covenant more clearly than in Jesus Christ? Huh? A people to whom God had come in covenant feared the Roman army more than they feared the covenant God who came in the flesh. We need to get rid of this one lest Rome come and destroy him. A fear of man over the fear of the God who came in the flesh. They were ashamed of him. And they cried, crucify him. They sought to put him to shame that way. Nonetheless, 
God keeps covenant through Son. Doesn't matter what these people tried to do. God keeps covenant through Son. Nothing in the way of sin in the world or in the church can ever stop God from fulfilling His covenant promises to His people in Jesus Christ. It won't happen. And for the New Testament church, how important that's been to know over the years. The apostles mentioned that they needed to obey God rather than men, even when the authorities told them to stop being prophets. To stop speaking the truth about Jesus Christ. Their fear of God, their reverence for the Holy One, overcame their fear of men. Because God, through His Christ, overcame their fear at the cross when He fulfilled His covenant promises. God tells us through His Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, that on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the Gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Galatians 1, verse 10 he says to the Galatians, does the apostle, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. We know Matthew 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 13-15, Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you were to suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not feel what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready to speak the truth about things. We imitate our covenant God and Savior whenever we find ourselves overcoming our fears and speaking the truth about our Lord and Savior that we're called to profess and that we're called to serve. And being ashamed of Him is not going to do, any, do us any favor, nor does it make sense to do it. Not when we reflect reside and rest on God's covenant faithful to us, to us in Jesus Christ that will never fail. So God overcomes our fears. But we also see that He overcomes King. And that too should be a great encouragement to us to glory in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in both this situation and the one that we see in Genesis 12, with Pharaoh, the kings of the earth were not intentionally at those points seeking to jeopardize the covenant promise. But the devil was loving it anyway because it appeared in both cases for a brief moment that the kings of the earth were going to be able to stand in the way of God's covenant plan. And it's of course the way the devil likes to work, whether kings or rulers are aware of it or not. Later on in Exodus, there's a Pharaoh that does seek to destroy the covenant promise by throwing all the sons of Israel into the sea. Or trying to. 
in Judges, another Abimelech ends up becoming an Antichrist figure and he ends up with a head crushing that's promised to evil in Genesis 3. Balak, the king of Moab, seeks to curse Israel through Balaam, but he is thwarted in his quest. Jezebel, the false queen of Israel, seeks to blend in Israel with the nations, and yet 7,000 don't bow the knee to Baal. Joash survives the Antichrist onslaught of Athaliah. Goliath wants to destroy the Davidic promise and throw David to the birds of the air, but he's judged with an Antichrist head crushing. Herod, the so-called great, seeks to destroy the Christ by killing the sons of Bethlehem but was foiled in his attempt by dreams. Just like dreams kept Abimelech from jeopardizing the promise. And of course, the kings of the earth, Psalm 2, tell us plot against the Lord and his anointed and uh, send him to the cross, and yet the Lord has the last laugh. And without even getting into all the, the different forces that seek to squelch and destroy the cause of Christians and Christ today, by way of law or sword or falsehood, by way of the lie, by way of might, by way of the many, by way of the media, by way of education, we gain from Scripture, including our own tonight, that you can't get in the way of God's plan to bring about His promises to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But if you try to get in the way, you die. But if you honor the promise, you live. God's promise is so precious to Himself, and it still is. And therefore it should be for us as well. Even the wombs of those of Abimelech's household were closed as long as Sarah was being dishonored. And in those days, that would have been a sign of a curse to be left without child. But, but that changed when the promise was honored. That passage points us to our New Testament situation. We're not, we're not called to honor Sarah so much as we're called to honor the child of the promise that would come from Sarah. And that child would ultimately be Jesus Christ himself, the seed by which all the nations of the earth would be blessed, as these, this nation was blessed. When we honor him with our faith, we too know the blessing of covenant favor. We know life. And we know it to the full. Now that may not mean we're going to have children because of it, but it will mean that life, which the opening of the womb represented and represents, will be ours to know in Christ. Everlasting life. Why should we ever doubt, then, that God can accomplish this for us? Has He not sent His Christ, just as He said, has he not overcome the kings of the earth? Has he not given to his Son all authority in heaven and on earth? Honor him and you will live. Curse him 
dishonor him and you'll be cursed. You can depend on both of those things because God keeps covenant faithfully. If kings can't overcome that covenant, who are we to think that we can by dishonoring God who keeps his covenant or his honor for the sake of his son, for the people he loves? A passage like this is telling us don't fear the people. Don't fear the powerful. Don't lose heart. Our God has overcome. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart in the one who has overcome the world. God protects his covenant. He overcomes the fear of people. He overcomes the powers of kings. We see that most clearly in Jesus Christ who is the Savior and King of kings. In such a sight, encourage us to a healthy, reverent, faithful fear of God in our lives where we glory in our God and fear Him more than anything that the world can throw at us. May we do that for Jesus' sake and as imitators of Him. Amen.